Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 213. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 213 you're listening to. My guest today is Ken Riley. Ken is a producer and engineer based out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. He and his studio partner, Drew Newman, run Rio Grande Studios, which is located right by the Rio Grande River there in Albuquerque. And we are going to talk to Ken about his long career coming up through New York, Los Angeles, and eventually New Mexico. So Ken Riley coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right. Shall we have some coffee? Mm, I think so. So what's new, my friends? Well, uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, I recently made a change to my room here, my studio. I made a bold move, actually, a bold move for me. Maybe not for you, but... I actually took my NS10s down. NS10M Studios, had them a long time, used them all the time, but uh, I found I was using them less and less and less. I have Amphion 118s and uh, the Reftone 2LDs, and I was pretty much just going back and forth between those two, and I found myself watching this show on uh, Netflix, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Yeah, that's it. I was watching that. Was, you know, looking around at, at my space and thinking, what more can I do to really tidy up? And I thought, wow, what, what would it look like if I pulled the NS10s down? Because I'm not really using them all that much. And I pulled them down and, man, it's amazing. It's like taking a tall building down and being able to see the sky. It's like, you know, just more spacious. So, uh, yeah, NS10s are down. You're sitting on the floor. I'm just going to try it without him for a while and see what happens. And I think I'll be fine. But I'm, I know in my, um, I always tell you sell gear that you're not using. So I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a year and we'll see what happens in a year. If I'm not using them in a year, I'll sell them. So I'll hold on to them in the meantime and just put them off to the side. So that's, that's my big change recently. And of course the NAM show is coming up. That's uh, January 24th through the 27th in Anaheim, California at the Anaheim convention center. I will be there. If you're going to be there, uh, one thing to think about doing before you get there is download the, uh, the app that they have, which helps you, uh, navigate the complex array of vendors that are there. There's so many, it's, it's amazing. If you've never been, you gotta go at some point. I'm seeing a lot of people offering badges and, and it, by the time you hear me say that, it may be too late uh, to get a badge, but some manufacturers give away badges in giveaways and uh, AES, I believe, allows uh, members to buy badges for 25 bucks or something like that. Anyhow, if you ever get a chance to go, you should go. There's also the uh, Summertime NAM that's uh, in Nashville again this year, and that's a lot smaller, but man, is it cool because it's just great to go to Nashville and there's so much happening there. And in spite of NAM's small footprint, there's just a lot of, a lot of things to do, a lot of parties to go to, a lot of people to see and 
Of course, it's Nashville. I love Nashville. So uh, there we go. Damn. 2019 in Anaheim, California. I'll see you there. If you see me there, don't be shy. Come on up. Say hello. Introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button, at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Let's head on over to Albuquerque, New Mexico and speak to Ken Riley of Rio Grande Studios here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Ken, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Let's get started with uh, the current state of affairs with uh, Rio Grande Studios. If you could tell me a little bit about the studio and where you guys are located and how it's going. Well, I've been here about 23 years. I've lived in New York City. I work with, for, under Bob Rosa, who's a big engineer. If you look at his discography, it's crazy. Everything from Michael Jackson to... He was Prince's personal engineer for a while, but he's the guy I learned from. Moved to Nashville. I didn't like it very much. 
wasn't the creative space I wanted to be in. I came here to visit a friend and went to lunch and met my wife. <laughs> it was 24 years ago. And so, you know, I had a mixing room. I do a lot of mixing in a small tracking room for many, many years. And about two years ago, my old friend Drew and I discussed uh, finding a building that was made out of mud near a river and try to discover the New Mexico sound, as hippie as it may sound. Right. But uh, that's how it all started. So uh, we we gutted this old 300-year-old adobe that was the bunkhouse for the ranch hands along the Bosque here. And now searching out the New Mexico sound, whatever that might be. Right. And where are you located at? On Rio Grande Boulevard, right next to the river. Okay. But you're in Albuquerque? Oh, Albuquerque, yes. Okay. Okay. Albuquerque proper. Yeah. All right. Let's go back in history a little bit for you, because you've got experience as far as recording in different cities and working with different people, working at different studios, yeah. like Electric Ladyland, Power Station, Unique Studios. Tell me about your background and how audio and recording came into your life. I mean, I can't remember a time that I wasn't attracted. I had, My grandfather bought me a little AM radio. And I used to listen to hit radio when I was a little kid, put it under my pillow, fall asleep at night. You know, the typical story you'll hear from an audio engineer. <laughs> Plus, I had a huge love for electronics and a huge love for music. And, you know, over the years, I learned, I bought two cassette decks, learned how to, you know, bounce between the two and multi-track that way. And then, you know, got my first four-track TAC, forget the 8840 or the big clicky switches on the front to sync the heads. And from there, I got a job at about three or four different studios. And that was in the mid-70s, just cutting tape all day long. In 79, I met a guy named Dougie Doyle, who owned a studio in Costa Mesa. Hmm. It was defunct. He had taken it apart. But he was, a, he was kind of a genius. He ended up owning Mastering Brothers in Orange County, which is a huge mastering lab for a long, long time. But prior to that, I met him, and we built a studio out of two garages, and most of the Christian rock from the early 80s came out of that little studio, the Altar Boys, Crumbacher. If you know the history of Christian music, like a punk movement, rock movement, it all came out of that little studio. And so I learned how to kind of make records with a eight-track Ampex one-inch and a console that we built. <laughs> oh, wow. Doug was a genius at that. He was an electronics genius. And I learned a lot from him. He's passed away this last year, but mm. um, he did. he engineered all the way up until... But anyway, so that's kind of where I started. In 84, I decided I wanted to move to New York City and learn how to be a really great engineer. So I took a few bucks, moved to New York City, swept floors, the different studios, wherever I could get in. And I met Bob Rosa, who, like I said, took me under his wing and helped me unlearn all the things that people had taught me that was proper. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, like things in the red, who cares? Does it sound good? Yeah, okay, leave it in the red. I'll fix it if it breaks, but it's making the mix sound good, so I don't care. Those kind of things. The things you won't learn in audio school, let's put it that way. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, my audio school would be, trust your ears, don't spend 60 grand on school, take that 60 grand, buy a bunch of equipment, which you can buy a pretty decent studio of 60 grand and start recording bands. That will make you more successful than any school could ever do. <laughs> getting, in, getting in and getting your feet wet for real. Yes. I mean, because it really is not just a bunch of electronics or where you place a mic, but it's getting along with the band. It's being able to make them get along with themselves. I mean, it's a whole enchilada. Unless you're doing those dynamics all the time, then it's kind of a waste of what you're doing because you're just learning one aspect. You can go to electronic school and learn that electricity will take the quickest point, you know, like water. 
So if you understand signal flow, you go to electronic school, understand signal flow, the rest is art. So once you get that part down, that's all you really need to learn if you don't know anything. Then the rest is just basically, you know, if you put Picasso and Rembrandt in the same room, they're going to kill each other. They're still two very great artists. But, you know, as as a producer, engineer, and even someone who's just mixing, there's still an art form involved. And no one's ever going to like my mix. And I'm never going to like anyone else's mix because it's art. You know? <laughs> that's you I love really, I love that that comparison. It's kind of the way I look at it. It's like, well, someone comes in the room and they go, "Well, I'm going to produce with you." Well, what do you like? You know, <laughs> can we work together? Before bands come in the studio here, I vet them and I find out, can I work with them? Can I get inside their minds and find out exactly what they want and then actually hand that to them and they can be proud of it. Those are all aspects. You don't just record anyone who walks in. I mean, obviously in this day and age, you may need to to make money, but at the same time, that's not why you should do it. What are the aspects of an artist that would stop you from wanting to work with them? Just me not being able to understand what they're after or them not even knowing who they are yet. Those are probably the two things that would keep me from working with them. Like, you know, some, some artists will come in and they go, well, I want to be a star. So, well, that's no reason to do music. <laughs> you know, it may be part of the reason because that's kind of why performers are performers because they want to be in front of people. But a fan can't believe in something that you don't believe in yourself. So you have to know who you are before anyone can say, I like that. You know, you have to be a product in order to believe in a product. So if the artist comes in and they don't know who they are yet, they need to develop themselves. I encourage them to develop themselves, find out what they actually want to be, and then go from there. Who were the people that you considered mentors? Oh, man. There's so many. It's like, um, I think that anyone that I've been in a room with, which I've been in a room with a lot of folks, uh, some famous, some not famous, but the successful ones, the ones that make a living at it, they don't actually teach me anything. They teach, they unlearn things. They unlearn bad habits and that's opposite of actually learning it's unlearning things that you thought were proper when actually the brush stroke was done with a different brush but only because that guy was holding it so it's kind of vague but it's it's very difficult to explain uh, what it's like to unlearn a technical thing I don't know if you've, that's ever happened to you but you learn all these things and you think Okay, these are the rules. Like, for instance, in the new DAWs, I learned more from younger guys because in, from my day, I only had three LA-2As, right? So I had to, <laughs> in my mix, I had to discuss how many I could, what was I going to put it on the lead vocal and one on the guitar or maybe one on the kick drum? Who knows? But now it's like, no, no, dude, you don't, you have more than, even though I have physical LA-2As back there, I could put six on every channel. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're thinking you've you got to unlearn you know, like every like I have a SSL console, but I don't have it in here now. I have this because people pick my in the box mixes over my SSL console mixes. So yeah, why do I have the most expensive laptop holder in the world sitting behind me? I don't. I have a laptop. <laughs> so right, you know. So you know, every time something happens where it it exceeds my known world of physicality of owning a console, I change it. Well, this is a better workflow. Right? right? It's a better workflow. This allows me to do more art and less technical. Yeah. And still get the same results. So, you know, I, I, I'm constantly learning from younger guys in the industry because they grew up with a mouse, right? So these, this is a, it's an actual touch screen. Yeah. And, and for the audience who's just listening, you're t- you've got a slate uh, raven in front of you. 
Yes, I'm sorry, but this is not video. Yeah. <laughs> I have a giant slate raven because you know I still have the old school ability to throw it in automation and not look at a screen as much as I'm looking at a console and mixing. Right. Uh, so I'm just listening to audio as opposed to being looking at wave files. Yeah. Which helps me in an old school way to keep to mix just audio because people don't have wave files and beautiful software in front of them. They're just sitting in front of a pair of speakers and. And that's kind of what they're all, all they're hearing. So, you know, I think at, no one at any time has ever said, I don't like that record because they didn't use a LA-2A on the snare. Right. No one said ever. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> to answer your question in a, in a roundabout way, I unlearn things. I don't learn things, if that makes any sense. Makes complete sense. Absolutely. Back to your time in New York. Tell me a little bit more about those experiences and working at Electric Ladyland and power station. Like I said, I, I worked under Bob. Bob worked at all those places. Uh, mostly unique. I spent a lot of time with him there. And I was actually in a couple bands and recorded in those places also. Mm -hmm. More notoriously working under Bob and watching him. But a lot of those times I was mostly sitting in on his mixing because someone else was producing and tracking it. At those places, I never worked as an employee at those particular studios, but I worked under Bob who rented this, the house as, uh, you know, is what it was. Right, right. Um, sometimes tracking, sometimes not. Mostly me sitting in on watching him mixing because that's where his sweet spot was and still is. Um, I think he's, he lives in Florida now. We talk a lot, but I think he's mixing Casey and the Sunshine Band right now or something crazy. <laughs> but is well, he still alive? Yeah, he's still alive. Well, um, what, prompt, but, what prompted a move to New Mexico? I was living in New York. I decided I wanted to maybe give Nashville a shot because I had some family there. Mm -hmm. Six weeks in Nashville, I just, just wasn't my thing. I just, you know, there wasn't, uh, at that point, this was 93. Okay. Yeah, there wasn't even Starbucks yet, really. There. <laughs> so it's like, get your coffee down at the Piggly Wiggly, you know. The studios were still, you know, studios, and it was a good old boy system, and it works for them. And Nashville puts out massive amounts of awesome music. I'm not picking on Nashville at all. I just, for me, it wasn't my thing. So I said, I came out to visit a friend here in New Mexico and met my wife. So, you know, 24 years later, <laughs> 94 uh, to now is 20, 24, 25. I don't know how long it's been, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. I've been here and I moved here mostly because I loved the sky. I love the climate. The people are real honest, almost a New York kind of way. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like... They'll mad dog you if they don't like you. They won't give you, they won't be like where I grew up in Los Angeles. Everyone's nice and then they're not, they don't like you. Here, if they don't like you, they pretty much tell you they don't like you. In fact, a lot of times they'll actually say it, which is okay. I mean, I'm good with that. Then you know who your friends are. But I just fell in love with the outside here. Is, it's just amazing uh, walking along the river. I mean, the ruins, the culture, the, the diet, the foods, you know, it, it really is kind of a lost place of, a lot of cultures coming together. Growing up in Los Angeles, watching Phoenix grow and all in Nashville from small towns like Albuquerque into these mega cities. Being here, it's like being in Phoenix in 19, you know, 75, you know, 1980. There's still less than a million people living here and it's it's pretty much a small town kind of, but it's along the river. And I, like I said, I just love everything about it. And I do love the energy here that comes out of the ground. I know that sounds hippie-ish, but there's... There is a sound like, uh, you know, L.A. has a sound, New York has a sound, and it's a philosophy that's been around, a Muscle Shoals movie, and, you know, and I think 
Um, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters has kind of done a few things based on sounds coming out of a, the ground and where, where that happens. That's kind of what we're after here, but what I also feel is an energy that no one is maybe taking the time to pay enough attention to the ground to find out what is actually happening. New Mexico is becoming even more of a place for film studios to um, do, make movies. And of course, uh, I think recently Netflix has invested a lot of money into a uh, film studio there. They, they actually bought, I think, two or three of them, and they're moving their whole enchilada here. And, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys that shoot film in town here. Mm -hmm. And they said the lighting here at certain times of the day is untouchable because of where we are on the, in the earth as far as being a mile high and how the sun hits the sides of the hills and stuff. So the, there's lighting here that is, un, you know, outside lighting is beyond comparison to a lot of other places. Yeah. So I don't know because I'm not a camera guy, but, you know, I do look at the Sandias in the afternoon when they turn kind of reddish and the sky just seems bigger, bigger than any sky you've ever seen. Somehow. Those are the things I'm in love with, for sure. Yeah. That's why I'm here. I'm, you know, there's, a, like I said, a couple of reasons. One is I think that Albuquerque, I want to make the artists in Albuquerque and New Mexico feel as if they're part of the country because most people say, oh, you're from New Mexico. Do you have to have a visa to go there? I mean, you know, we're like this disconnected kind of <laughs> I know. place. It's like, well, no, no, you don't understand. Every movie you've seen for the last 10 years was shot here. I mean, you know, we, we are like this, like, oh, we're basically... Uh, when you drive through New Mexico, you stop in Albuquerque because of the 40 or the 25, and it's basically a gas stop. You know, it's not really a, a destination when there's so many beautiful things here to see. You've, you've spent time in Los Angeles, New York, Nashville. I was, bo I was born and raised in Los Angeles, yes. It, it's pretty stark, I think, if, if you don't experience this, for my listeners, if you, if you spend time in a big city and then you go to New Mexico, the minute you get out of the airport— and you walk out to the parking lot, the number one, the, the thing that I notice immediately is, is the open skies and the, the lack of skyscrapers, you know, towering over you. It's a beautiful thing to, to see. And it's, it's shocking in, in a way. Did you experience any kind of culture shock when you came to New Mexico? Funny enough, I don't think I did. Even from LA to New York, you know, if you're in LA, there's not a lot of tall buildings except for downtown, but when you're in New York, it's a completely different feeling because the buildings are all around you and you're, and you just feel quite small, you know, and there's lots of people and a lot and some energy. But I look at towns, not so much of their population, but their, the feeling it gives you. Mm -hmm. LA is kind of a big, lonely place. That's the way it feels to me. Even though I grew up there, that's the feeling you would get when you're there. You, if you live there long enough, anyone who lives in Los Angeles, I'm not putting it down. I was born and raised in Compton. I love Los Angeles, but the feeling that comes from it is like a lonely, I think uh, a few artists have even put it in their songs, a lonely bedroom town, they call it. That's the kind of energy that comes out of the ground, but the music from that is beautiful. The birds, even though Tom Petty's from Florida, a lot of those guys that kind of jangle fest California sound that's happened since the 60s, uh -huh. uh, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, you can go down the line. Creedence Clearwater's from Northern California. There's a sound that comes from there and that comes from that, that feeling. You go to New York and it's super high energy. And so the bands that come out of that town are super high energy bands. It's interesting how that works. I mean, you go to New Orleans and everyone's happy and buzzed most of the time. <laughs> so that's that's why Zydeco music makes so much sense, right? Right. So in Albuquerque, when I came here, it felt right. I don't know. You know, I, I can't really put like my finger on the button and say, well, it's this way. It just feels right. 
it's like the porridge, you know, too hot, too cold, just right. You know, <laughs> I don't, right. you know, I just happened to be here at the right time in my life where it just felt like this is where I want to be. Yeah. And it just feels, I feel normal here. I don't feel too high, strong or lonely or, or too happy. I just feel like me. Yeah. And so it's, it's, I know, I know that's vague and hippie-ish, but at the same time, that's how it feels. It's weird how, how the energy here is. And like I said, I think that that's maybe why people haven't reached out to discover what the New Mexico sound is because they do feel content. And most artists really extend themselves out when they don't feel content. So whoever discovers the New Mexico sound, I want it to be me, but it may be someone else. I just want to bring attention to the fact that that hasn't happened. I mean, you have ranchetta music, but that's Texas. All New Mexico did was put out a tune guitars on it. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I love New Mexico. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, what's the sound? I mean, we've got Native Americans, Spanish. Uh, we have a Jewish community up north that settled here in the early century. White folks, black folks, uh, heavy Irish communities, you know, and, and Mexico coming up. So we have, you know, this diverse culture here. Very. Where's that sound? You know what I mean? I mean, obviously in New Orleans, you have the, the French and the African coming together, which causes the Creole, and they have a sound. Where's ours? You know, <laughs> so that's kind of my point. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. As far as being a, um, not just at Rio Grande here in your current location, but studios that you set up prior to this studio, what has been your experience and with, with uh, trying to run a studio in a, a place that is not traditionally known as a big music market? Has it been challenging from a business perspective? Well, I do out of, a lot of out-of-state stuff because I have a lot of connections. So I make money that way. It's been challenging since I've opened up this building Specifically, although we have a lot of national acts coming through, uh, specifically trying to address the local community has been a little bit of a challenge over the last year, but we've been busy. But I would like to see more local people stand up around here and say, I want to do this. I want to try to 
get along and make this happen. There's been a few and it's been awesome, but it's been a little more challenging because we're, you know, we're in a brick and mortar. This studio and the property that it's on is just a studio. No one lives here. It just looks like somebody does Yeah, <laughs> on purpose for a vibe. But uh, it's funny. We've had more attraction from outside New Mexico to come have this experience of the Vegas and the, and the old Adobe and the, you know, the New Mexican uh, cuisine, which is, you know, sopa peas, red, green chili, all the wonderful things that come from New Mexico. But it's been somewhat challenging since we've been in this building, but it's, it's growing, you know, it's becoming like a brand, which I never, we never thought when we first started that it would become a brand. And right. It's becoming a brand. Right. But that's okay. That's okay too. I mean, you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens. You also do some work with uh, some, some companies, some uh, film companies. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We've done some uh, Netflix. We've done um, like a bunch of stuff for the Graves show. We've done Disney, Grace Vanderwall, uh, Disney and Sony. So, you know, we've done a lot of stuff like that out of here. And, and you know, a lot of VO stuff here and there. Uh, not my favorite thing to do. I mean, we designed this. I have tons of old mics and preamps and that I hid on purpose back here. But um, if, you, if you go into our main room, you know, everything's hidden on purpose. They spent a lot of money to hide everything. So it felt like you were just standing in someone's living room smelling red chili or something. You know, it's it's that <laughs> kind of vibe. And they've been coming here based on the vibe. Believe it or not, they'll see it on the inter our internet presence and say, I want to go record there. So, you know, and plus we're, we're probably the only ones in the game that have all the mics and preamps that we have. That's where the those are the brushes, right? Right. The mics and the preamps are where the sound comes from. The source is just a source. So the the box is going in and the mic's going in, which I have, you know, a 30-year collection, as you can imagine. I have probably, I don't know, 80 mics or something silly like that. Oh, some new, some old, some dynamic, some not, some not so dynamic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> a lot of large diaphragm, a lot of, you know, a lot of crazy stuff that I picked up that I that do certain things that I love, like old brushes, you know, on a canvas. So you know, I've got all those tools. And so people see that and they come here because I'm probably the only person in town that has those kind of tools, you know. Are there many other studios in the area? Yeah, there's a couple that are that are pretty good. Uh, there's one up in Santa Fe. It's real nice. Guy's been around for a long time and has a nice room and some pretty decent mics. And there's a guy uh, across town here who has a place, but it's not full time for him. So we're pretty much the only, I think, 24-7 studio other than a few little places that are nationally competitive, I should say. I see, yeah. You have a uh, a partner there in uh, in Drew Newman. So yeah. how, did, how did you and Drew meet? I produced this band about 15 years ago. Oh. And he got into real estate and was very successful at that. And just came back and we were just talking one day because he has a house here. He loves it here. It's him and his, his wife is actually from here. I just started talking about doing something like this and he goes, let's do it. So here we are doing it. <laughs> Before you did that, you were in a, uh, a different studio setup prior to this. Yeah. And that was, tell me a little bit about that prior setup. It was just a smaller room. I had my console in there and I did a lot of mixing mostly. I did some tracking and um, did other stuff on the side. You know, I get royalties, checks and stuff from different things that I've done over the past. And so I was able to survive doing that and loved it. But I was... I felt like I wasn't giving back to this community who had, who had just given me so much joy that um, that I'm crazy enough to say, you know what? I'm 60 years old. Let's do this. <laughs> Why not? So yeah. here we are. And and what made you choose that particular building? 
Because it's a 300-year-old mud building. I mean, you know, I, I think that the sound of a city comes from, it's very specific, comes from where the living water is, the mud. It comes out of the mud, right? Mm-hmm. So we all know Adobe's made out of river mud. And so here I am in a 300-year-old mud building with 300-year-old floors and ceilings looking for it. If it's not here, it ain't here. Yeah. Did you guys buy the building? <laughs> we bought the property, yes. And the, the great thing about New Mexico is the cost of living and the cost of real estate is compared to other parts of the country, like where in my area. It's nothing. It's it, nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. It's nothing. It's a, it's a crappy condo on the worst part of town kind of price. Yeah. <laughs> for a nice place. What were you looking for in the building? In, in, in when you and, and Drew were searching, what did you sit down and say, what do we need? Well, the, what we wanted to be is close to the river in an adobe building. And, and we found it. And why Why is close to the river? And and just for the audience, we're talking about the Rio Grande River. Yes. Uh, because specifically, this has always been my dream is to find the sound of this town. Philosophically, from most people who deep think these kind of things, and what I've you know read in books and what I feel and what I know from experiences... I believe that the music that comes from the environment comes from the ground. It comes from the mud. It comes from where the water is, where living things are. You know what I mean? It's it, water brings life, and that's a whole hippie philosophical thing that I have in my mind. It may be my OCD, but then there actually may be some content to it that the sound is going to come from that point if you're listening. So, so very specifically, wanted an old adobe building next to the river. And Plus, you, it's called Rio Grande Studios. So yeah, you know. well, you had to be by the Rio Grande. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I want to go back a, a little bit to uh, your teaming up with Drew. For you, what does Drew bring to the table as a as a studio partner? Well, he is, uh, you know, late 20s, early 30s, great businessman, but he, he understands how social media really, um, to get the word out there of what we're doing and, and our goals. He's able to, you know, in, in this world of of media technology where there's video, audio, and we're just getting barraged with it all the time. In a way, he's so genius because he's able to get those ideas and thoughts out there and project the image that is actually happening here. And that's just good marketing. He's just, he's brilliant at it. On top of being a great musician and a fantastic friend, he's also a media genius to me. I mean, he's like a, like a, like a brand. He's making a brand out of it. And, you know, just because he's really good at mm. it. And I think you need that if you're going to own a studio, you need that kind of marketing to let people know who you are and what you do. Yeah, and you guys have a very characteristic, very strong brand with the cow skull and just the whole New Mexico vibe about the whole thing to me really stands out. Yeah, well, thank you. That's that's definitely all Drew. I, I build motorcycles on the weekend and I'm, I love to make records and I like to build motorcycles. So that's what I do. So right. He likes doing what he does and he's brilliant at it. So we're a great partnership. So obviously people find out a lot about you via social media. And would you say that that's yes. where the majority of your clients come from? New clients, yes. I have a lot of old clients, but new clients, yes, are coming from social media. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. They'll, they'll, you know, because they're able to go look at, say, oh, that looks like a cool place. You know, they can click on YouTube or they can click on, you know, any of the music that we have and listen to it and go, I like the sound of that. I want to do it there. You know what I mean? That's just how it works. Obviously, most studios, anyone can put a studio in their house now for 30 grand. You can build yourself a studio and do a record. What do we have to offer that they don't have? 
it's a sound. It's the room sound. It's the vibe of the studio. It's when you come inside, we have a giant steel gate. It's a quarter of an acre and it's all super private. So we have a place for a bus to drive in and do it and hook up. And so it becomes a super private little place. Whereas most recording studios uh, that I've ever worked in, you walk out the front door and you're usually in skid row or, you know, on a street or, you know, or curb and it's all cement. This you walk outside and it's like, you know, New Mexico, there's cactus and it's, you know, it's beautiful Latia fencing and big rusty steel things. And, and it's, it just, you know, it just bleeds a New Mexico backyard on the, you know, the North Valley. Do you have accommodations so. for bands to stay there, to sleep there? No, we have deals with, the, there's a place called Los Poblanos, which is a very famous hotel that's down up the street on Rio Grande uh -huh. here. And we have deals with different packages. Like we have a van that will pick the band up from the airport, take them to their hotel, and so they can pay for the whole package to record for a week stay in a hotel or we do have also have a couple of connections for um airbnb yeah where we got really cheap like five bedroom houses for you know 100 bucks a night or something like oh, that wow. so, so uh, a whole band can stay here way cheaper than they could go anywhere else in the world still even by coming here and being picked up and recording they're going to spend less money than if they stayed in their own town and recorded and had to pay the rent of another large studio because the real estate was so expensive yeah interesting right huh. So we're not trying to cut under anyone or take anything away from everyone. We just want someone to come and have a good experience. If they have a good experience, what's great. So what I do is the, vet, the band will contact us and I will vet them in not in a like I'm superior way, but just like, what do you guys want to do? If they want to do an, an in the box um, kind of rap record, I'm not the guy. There are way too many talented guys to do that. Right. If, if it's like an Americana band and they want to just come and make a really loud, awesome, raw record, I'm I'm in right away. And then there's like other stuff all in between, but I would just want to make sure that the artist isn't coming here thinking they're going to become better just because they're here. You know what I mean? I want them to be who they are before they come, know who they are and bring that. So there's a little bit of vetting that goes on a little more time, but it also it also makes for happier customers because you, they're not coming with an assumption that something is is going to make them 80 times better. There may be some magic that happens here, right. but it's already magic that they were doing at some point in time, and we just managed to capture it. Now, I know that you brought Drew in. You you respect him for his business acumen, but you've been around for for a while in the music industry. So in, in terms yeah. of business and money, uh, do you have a particular philosophy for yourself that's allowed you to survive in th the world of music and recording? There's been times where I haven't done this because I had to do other things. I'm a licensed electrician, a licensed plumber, a licensed locksmith. There's no reason for and a framer. So I can you know, build a house for you if you want. But there's been times in my life when I had to do yeah. that because there was a period of time, I don't know, like 10 years ago, where I didn't even want to be part of the music industry just because of what was happening. It was all in the box. There was no like Americana movement or what's happening right now. In music, it was just, you know, pop music was a guy on a laptop you know, with, with a songwriter here, 10 songwriters writing one song and a, and you know, that's still kind of happening, but there's a whole movement of suburban kids that are in rock bands and they're jamming in their garage. You know, there's still hope that, that we'll see, you know, that kind of uh, synergy come out of the suburbs. Cause what's ever happening in the suburbs right now in 10 years is going to be on main stages. That's just how, this is what we know. Right. So, you know, I mean, I had a band come in here a few weeks back and we were talking, he goes, you know what jamming is, right? And I'm like, they're just discovering about jamming. You know, it's like, like, uh, yeah, I know what that word means. In fact, I was probably around before that word was even existed, which was 1965. You know, 
I find it funny, but at the same time, I see hope for, um, you know, real musicianship to come back and kids getting tired of the machines. Not that the machines aren't a good thing, because, you know, it's a combination of those things. They're all tools and it's all art and it all comes from some spot, but it's not for everyone. So, you know, the internet has opened up avenues for, for all kinds of niche type of music that's going to elevate itself based on what people like as opposed to what a machine wants you to like. I um, just want to encourage people to understand, of course, there's probably not a lot of artists that listen to your podcast. It's probably mostly people who do what we yeah. do. But if there are artists listening, make sure you know who you are because this good studio is not going to make you something you're not. So just know who you are when you walk in. That's great advice. And also from your perspective as a producer, as an engineer, with that perspective, what advice can you offer other producer engineers when approaching or dealing with artists? That's a rough one. Um, your job, if you choose to accept it, <laughs> is to act, to, to be the leader without them noticing. That comes by example. That comes by getting up and doing things. You, instead of asking the singer to do this, get up and do it. And so, you know what? This will probably be better if you did this. I mean, things like that. Just simple things that make them think it's their idea. You got to make them think it's their idea. And, and if they have a bad part in a song, say, go home tonight and rewrite that part. Don't try to write a part for them on the fly. Although you probably could, and it'd probably be a great part. That can be offensive. They may I, I, Generally, when I send a band home and I say, go write another part for this hook part, this guitar line that's in the chorus... They'll usually come back with something really cool. So don't be afraid to say things like that because then, then it puts it on them to be better and not you. You're not the being the egotistical one. Uh, you're just like for me, you know, your first your first instinct is to grab the guitar. No, no, no. Let me show you what you need to do. You know what I mean? Then, then you look like an idiot, although that seems like the quickest and probably will save them money by doing the part that in the end may, may or may not be important, but at the same time, you need to be the leader without leading. I like that. That's great advice. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, Ken, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's been great to great to uh, hear your story and hear about Rio Grande. And uh, next time I'm in Albuquerque, I will definitely give you a call and have to stop by. Absolutely. Do have a beer or coffee, whatever you do. Yeah, I do it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do both beer and coffee. All right, Ken, will you take care? And uh, thanks again. Absolutely. Have a great day. All right, you too. Thank you. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Ken Riley here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being with me today and every week. We have to thank our friend Mr. Cliff Truesdale for the Working Class Audio theme music and Chuck Smith for the wonderful voice at the beginning of the show. And I also want to thank all of you once again for listening each week. Spread the word, tell your friends on social media, and until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware... Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at Gearspace.com called 
audio life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out. 